Last week, we started our sermon series, Can We Talk? Biblical Conversations in Good Faith. You can find out more about this series, listen to sermons and podcasts, and join our Diving Deeper discussion class at fpcrichmond.org talk. Last week, we considered two gospel passages in which Jesus advises his disciples on having hard conversations, promising us the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth, and reminding us that in hard conversations, we will need to listen and listen and listen some more. This week, we hear one of the many call stories from the Bible and consider what we need to understand about God and ourselves before we enter into conversations with one another. So hear now this reading from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What do you want to be when you grow up? The younger we are when we're asked that question, the grander the possibilities. I want to be a professional athlete, a rock star, the president of the United States. But as we grow, and develop particular talents or interests, or the lack of talent and interest, our vision tends to narrow. In high school or even college, that question, what do you want to be, takes on increased urgency and may cause no small amount of anxiety as we discover that many of the things we might have envisioned are not available to us because we don't have the right skill set or educational opportunities, or even because we're needed in the family business, or because a steady income is more urgent than doing work we love. The lucky few might find the sweet spot, the place Frederick Buechner describes as where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. But for many people, a job is, in the end, just a job. 
Which is why it becomes so problematic when we conflate the idea of our profession, what we do for a living, with the theological concept of vocation, which is about who God calls us to be in the world. In an essay on vocation, Archbishop Rowan Williams says that the trouble with the idea of vocation is that most of us have a rather dramatic idea of it, dramatic in the sense of theatrical, vocation as casting, you might say. God has a purpose for the world, a very long and a very good play with plenty of juicy parts in it. The nuisance is that God draws up the cast list before doing any auditions. We find ourselves called to fulfill a definite role, but we haven't actually seen the script. And as time goes on, we may suspect we would do better in another part. If you're wondering where we get this dramatic, theatrical idea of vocation, we need to look no further than biblical passages like the one we just heard. When the prophet Jeremiah receives a quite literal calling from God, that call story takes the form of a conversation between God and Jeremiah, and there are many such conversations in the Bible between God and a person God is calling. These conversations are usually a cross between God inviting and commanding someone to play a particular role in the ongoing story of God and humanity. There is the call of Abram and Sarai to leave home and family and begin a journey with God. There is the call of Moses from the burning bush to liberate God's people. There are the call narratives of Samuel and Saul and David and Solomon and Esther and Deborah and Jesus' disciples and the apostle Paul. But in the call of Jeremiah, we learn a truth that applies to every one of us. Our calling from God isn't about us or our talents or skills or opportunities. It's about God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, God tells Jeremiah. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Our deepest, truest calling is not about what we do for a living. It is, first and foremost, about living out who we are, human beings, created in God's own image, infinitely valued, unconditionally loved, unquestionably worthy. Father Gregory Boyle, who works in the projects of Los Angeles, writes about a conversation he had one day with a gang member who epitomized cool. According to Boyle, this kid didn't walk. He swaggered with a head bob and a serious scowl. When they first met, Father Gregory asked him his name. Sniper, the kid sneered. Okay, look, Father Gregory said, I have a feeling you didn't pop out of your mom and she took one look at your sorry self and said, I'm gonna call you Sniper. So come on, what's your name? The kid relented just a little. Gonzalez, he said. 
Now, son, said the priest, I know some people will call you by your last name, but I'm not down with that. Tell me, what's your mom call you? Cabron, he responded with the slightest flicker of innocence, even though if you know Spanish slang, you know this is not a nice name. No doubt, Father Gregory said. But son, I'm looking for birth certificate here. Finally, the kid softened. His posture and his expression lost their swagger and revealed embarrassment and vulnerability. Napoleon, he managed to squeak. Wow, Father Gregory said, that's a fine, noble, historic name. But I'm almost positive that when your mama calls you, she doesn't use the whole nine yards. Come on, tell me, do you have a nickname? What's your mom call you? Then in front of Boyle's eyes, the kid went to some far off distant place, a place he hadn't been in a long time. His voice, body language, his whole being took on a new shape. Sometimes, he said, sometimes when my mom's not mad at me, she calls me Napito. Father Gregory writes, I watched this kid move, transformed from sniper to Gonzalez to Cabron to Napoleon to Napito. We all just want to be called by the name our mom uses when she's not mad at us. The conversation between God and Jeremiah is a foundational conversation God has with each one of us, even if we aren't consciously aware of it. It is the conversation in which we receive our truest and deepest identity, the one that stirs in our hearts when someone who truly loves us calls us their own, reminding us that no matter what, we are beloved. Now, when God invites Jeremiah to claim his identity as one who is created and loved and equipped and empowered by God, Jeremiah's first reaction is to protest, I'm just a boy and I'm no public speaker. But God responds with a lesson in what matters and what doesn't. What doesn't matter, God says, is all those outward markers we apply age, ability, social status, educational attainment, gender, skin color, ethnicity. What does matter is who made you, who claims you, who invites you to join God's sacred work. And living out of our true identity will not just be about building and creating the life and the world God desires. It will first require the hard work of dismantling the structures and systems and false identities created by people and communities who forget their true calling. Sharon Snyder was a clerk for a circuit court judge in Missouri People often came to her requesting documents that might help them as they tried to prove the innocence of a loved one who had gone to jail. In 2009, a woman came and told her the story of her brother, a man named Robert Nelson, 
who had been convicted of rape and who had served 25 years of a 70-year term. The woman insisted her brother was innocent. At the time of Nelson's conviction, DNA testing wasn't available, but now that it was, Nelson wanted to file a motion to have DNA testing done on the evidence from his case. Snyder gave Nelson's sister the documents she requested, but later the sister returned and told Snyder's that Nelson's request for DNA testing had been denied. Nelson filed another request, also denied, Neither he nor his sister could figure out why. Then Snyder remembered a similar case where a request for DNA testing had been granted. The paperwork for the request was a matter of public record, so Snyder showed it to Nelson's sister. Using that request as a template, Nelson filed for a third time, and this time his request was granted. The evidence was tested and showed that Nelson was innocent. Thirty years after he went to prison, Robert Nelson was set free. Two weeks later, Sharon Snyder was suspended without pay for allegedly violating a law that forbade her from offering legal advice or counsel. A few days after that, she was fired. Snyder, 70 years old, had worked in that office for 34 years and was nine months away from retirement. In an interview, she was asked if there was anything good that had come from what happened after she helped Robert Nelson. The interviewer thought she would say something like, well, I got to retire a little earlier than I planned. I've spent more time with my grandkids. I've gotten to do a bunch of TV and radio interviews. Instead, she said this. The good thing that came from this is that Robert Nelson is free. And I'm so happy for him. I'm glad I did what I did, and I believe it was for a worthy cause. Even though I lost my job and it put me financially in a bind, it was worth it. I would do it again. Sharon Snyder understood that her calling was more than her job. Our calling is about how we live from our identity as God's people, how we see and listen to and treat one another. That first conversation between God and Jeremiah is so important because it is, in a profound way, the first and most important conversation for all of us, the one in which we learn who we are and to whom we belong the one that sets us up for every conversation we have with one another. Today, for the first time in a long time, we celebrated the sacrament of baptism, that sacrament that proclaims the truth of who we are. Although it might seem like in a baptism we're celebrating the uniqueness of this one exquisite human being, today of Harrison, In fact, we are proclaiming that God's love is destructive. For in baptism, God dismantles Harrison's identity as a member of the Maza family and reorients him as first and foremost a member of God's human family. In baptism, we proclaim that Harrison's life work, his calling, 
is to join God in dismantling whatever divides the members of the human family from one another. As writer Kelly Ryan recently put it, in baptism, we are invited to renounce and resist the evils of the world, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to respect the dignity of every human being. In baptism, we give our bodies and all that we do to God's struggle for justice and peace for all people. Baptism reminds us that we belong to God and we belong to each other. And we are called to join together in the work of creating a world defined by that truth. As God reveals to Jeremiah, this work will require intentional effort to deconstruct the lies the world feeds us about what is important so that we can reclaim our true identity and so that when we look at our fellow human beings, we can see them not as the world teaches us to see them, but as God's beloved. For Jeremiah, this was difficult, demanding, lifelong work. But he had this promise to hold on to, as do we. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Living out of our God-given identity is the hardest work we will ever do, for it will be a lifelong process of dismantling the identities the world gives us and of placing our trust in God, our Creator, so that we can engage one another as members of one human family. And this work starts with remembering the first and most important conversation of all, the ongoing conversation between you and the God who made you. A conversation in which God reminds us who we are and whose we are and promises to be with us every step of the way. Amen.